Welcome to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. This week's message is Relational Vampires, Part 3, Critical People, recorded Sunday, October 15th, 2023. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending an email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Now here's Dan with today's message. I want to see by show of hand, how many of you consider yourself to be highly perceptive people? Okay, you notice a new haircut. You notice if someone's driving something different, if they're wearing something different, if they're cooking something different, you're just a perceptive person. Okay. There's a few of you here today, and so uh, I want you to watch this video, and the only instructions I'm going to give you is do not talk to your neighbor, all right? Do not, if, you, if you've seen this before, don't tell them the number uh, or spoil it, Hannah. Don't do that. And then uh, secondly, I just want you to count the number of times that the people wearing a white shirt pass the basketball. Okay, raise your hand if you counted at least 13 times. Okay, you're decently perceptive people. 14 times? Getting there. How many people counted 15 times that the ball was passed? Okay, that is the right number. If you counted more than 15, you're overly perceptive, okay? But the real question is, raise your hand if you did not see a gorilla. Okay, anyone? All right, there's a few of you. I'll tell you, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, watch again. Like he just comes on through, does a little disco move, and none of you, or some of you, they say about 50% of people don't notice that at all, and that was me. And the deal is, once you've seen the gorilla, it's all you see, right? Like if I told you there was going to be a gorilla and count the number of passes, you wouldn't be able to do both. You would have the wrong number of passes. And so uh, some of you are very, very highly perceptive. Others of you aren't. Uh, and so over the last couple of weeks, Scott has been talking to us about the relational vampires known as controlling people and needy people. Uh, and some of those things are hard to notice, right? Like uh, they're, they're things that uh, maybe you've learned over the last couple of weeks that you actually have people in your life who struggle with that. Maybe you learned that you struggle with that a little bit. And once you see the gorilla or the vampire known as those things, it could be that that's all you notice going forward, that you notice that there are people around you that are controlling, that are needy. And uh, maybe you've learned about yourself that you have some of those tendencies as well in your relationships, that you can be controlling or needy. <clears throat> and I think all of us need to hear this. In Jesus, there is and can be redemption in all of these areas that we're talking about. If you or someone in your life has been controlling, that doesn't have to be true tomorrow. Uh, if you know someone or you've been someone who just tends to be more needy, that doesn't have to be your future. We love this phrase around here. We say it, we sing it. If I'm not dead, then he's not 
done, right? If I'm not dead, then God's not done with my life. He's not done working on me and, and transforming me to look more and more like him. And it's true of all these vampires that we're talking about in our lives and the people around us that God is doing a work in us, and, uh, and it's a good thing. And that's really important today because we're working to reveal the vampire known as critical people. Uh, and most of the time, critical people, they don't sneak up on you like a gorilla does, right? Like they come in loud and clear. Uh, you know when a person in your life is being, con- or is being critical of your life. A workplace study revealed that in the, the highest productive offices or businesses, there are six praises for every one critical statement. And in low production businesses, the ratio is usually one to one, one praise for every criticism. And in really toxic places, it gets as bad as three criticisms for every one praise. And you're like, I didn't know that the place that I worked has been studied like that. Uh, and, And the truth is like, those same studies show us that it's the same way in families. And notice it didn't say the happiest workplaces. It talked about the most productive workplaces. And it's true in our families as well, that if we exist in a place in a way that's highly critical, it just tends to wreck everything. Whether it's a boss or a coworker, uh, a spouse or significant other, a parent, child, a, a neighbor, a sibling, Uh, an in-law, whatever it is, criticism has a way of wrecking your day, your productivity, sometimes even your life. And here's the crazy part. It doesn't always come from living, breathing people. I was talking with Josh and Parker this week about how they see this vampire of criticism sinking its teeth into this generation of teenagers. See, students experience their highest levels of criticism, not necessarily from a person, but from a perception that they get on social media. Number of likes or reposts or views or even the perception that they get from companies and influencers about lifestyle and body shape and uh, ability or inability, and they start to compare their real self to this fictional, unrealistic ideal of what the world says they should be. And it begins to speak very loudly to them, and it can to us, and it triggers their own inner critic to tell them they're not enough or they're worth less in our world. And no family, no neighborhood, no relationship, and no workplace is immune from the impact of biting remarks. Now, I was talking with some people around here, like, from time to time, we get criticisms here at the church, and so I've got a list of some of them. Uh, it starts with, why is it always so cold? Uh, you know who you are if you wrote that. Uh, and, then, and then the husband writes, why is it always so hot, right? Could you do something about the feedlot smell? No, we can't. We can't do anything about that. When are we going to have a potluck? That's actually a pretty good idea. It's not. We're not going to do it. Uh, Uh, Why is Scott always picking on Dan? Good question. And then the rest of the list just talks about our parking lot, right? Like, it just goes on and on and on. And and you arrive here after the 1015 service, and maybe you do four, five, seven laps before you find a parking spot. 
But can I just tell you, Third City, like here's one of the beautiful things is I made all that up because uh, we're just so fortunate we don't have a, a ton of criticism. We get it from time to time, but we get the opposite. We get people who say, man, what a great problem to have that our parking lot's just so stinking full. On Easter, we get pictures from more than one person showing that traffic is backed up several blocks on the other side of the roundabout because so many people just want to go to a place where they can celebrate a risen Savior. And we're a church that tends to look at the positive side of things and, and not be so dang critical. And so thank you for being that kind of church. It doesn't mean we're perfect, but it does mean that we see how God is at work. See, for most of us, here's the truth. You can receive all kinds of positive feedback about something, but if you receive just a little bit of criticism, it is the thing that you will think about. And I'll just tell you, like for me, it's the number seven, right? Like every year when we ask our congregation to affirm our budget, I'm, I'm in the room where we're tallying all of the affirmation votes. And it's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people checking yes in a moment of worship. But then I notice that there's four or six or seven who check no, and, and I do a couple things there. First of all, I, I receive that as criticism, and it might not be. It might be a person who's just saying, hey, I don't know enough about it. Uh, or it might be someone who, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a little dimly lit in here, and they come up here, and they check the box, and they check the wrong box. I don't know. It might, there might be some criticism in it, but I read into it, and I lose sleep over things like that, and you do too. Someone could give you a, an annual review at your job and line out 20 really good things about you, and they say one thing, and you go home seething about that one thing. We all fall prey to that from time to time. And I have no doubt that you deal with that in your workplace, in your neighborhood, and in your home. And so today I want us to focus on just a couple of things. Uh, first, people can suck the life out of you. But here's the second thing. We is people, right? Like every one of us in this room fits into that category of being a person. And there's times when we can suck the life out of other people with our attitudes and with our criticisms. And so let's talk today about how we react, how we respond, and how we resist criticism in our lives. So first, how we react. Specifically, how we react internally, okay? If you're like me, when you hear criticism, you immediately get that kind of lump in your throat, your pulse quickens, and you want to defend yourself, right? Uh, and, and it just has this physiological effect on you where it stresses you out and your blood pressure rises a little bit, and it takes more control of us than we ought to allow it to take. It triggers this tendency that, our world calls fight or flight. And you fall in one of those two categories. See, anytime we receive feedback, we have to make a couple of decisions. First, we have to recognize that sometimes it's warranted, but then we also have to decide if that person is for us or not. Is a legitimate critique or coming from a critical spirit is a really important question for you to ask before you do anything else. And if it's legitimate, especially if it's godly critique, it can be a good thing to have a fire lit under us. 
What's not a good thing is when that fire engulfs us. So criticism, whether it's warranted or not, it should never diminish your worth or your personhood or your true identity. John, or 1 John 3 says we should be called children of God because that is what we are. That is our identity. And that's true in our best days and our worst. John 8 says I am set free because I am in Christ. That's true on our best days and our worst. And Romans 8 reminds me that I'm no longer condemned because I am in Jesus. And that's true on our best days and our worst. See, on all of our days, we have to decide that we are not driven by praise, but we're also not derailed by criticism. Craig Rochelle says it this way, don't let compliments go to your head, but don't let criticism stick to your heart. Warren Wearsby, a preacher and author, says the way we respond to criticism pretty much depends on the way we respond to praise. If praise humbles us, then criticism will build us up. But if praise inflates us, then criticism will crush us, and both responses lead to our defeat. So after we determine how we internally react, we press into how we respond to criticism. And how we respond, you see, it's this opportunity. It's this opportunity to show how God is working on your character, how God is working in your heart to make you more like him. Whether it's uh, legitimate criticism or not, loving or not, appropriate or not, our response is our own choice. And I need to hear that. And so just three quick ways this morning that you can choose to respond. Oftentimes, you don't. And that's a hard one for some of us, right? Like, to know that you can receive criticism, and just because someone criticizes you, it does not obligate you to respond. Again, determine if it's godly critique or a critical spirit. If you're just hearing from a person who has determined that they have the spiritual gift of fault-finding, like maybe you don't listen to that or maybe you don't respond. You choose to remain silent. And this may be especially true for you if you're kind of like me and you're pretty quick with your words and you think you can dig yourself out of any situation verbally, it might be time to zip your lip, right? Here's what, here's what Mark Twain said. It's better to remain silent and thought a fool than to talk and remove all doubt. Proverbs 19 says, a, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. In 1 Peter 2, Peter writing about Jesus on the cross, he says this, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And remember, this is Peter writing this. A couple of weeks ago, Scott read that passage where Jesus has to say to Peter, Satan, get behind me, because Peter thought that he knew best how to deal with criticism and attack. And so here Peter is learning from how Jesus handled himself in that situation. Maybe you're a person like Peter or like Dan, where with words you can, you can be pretty quick to be like ready, fire, aim. 
you know? And then you say those things, you defend yourself, whatever it is, and then for weeks or months or years, you, li you live with the repercussions of saying something that you wish you hadn't said. You know, we, uh, we just have to learn how to zip our lip. Jesus did it, and it would be wise for us to practice that as well. Well, sometimes, though, you respond carefully, and it's important to understand that Jesus didn't always zip his lip, that there were times when he spoke into the situation or the people around him, and it's when he saw two things, misrepresentation of truth, people who were taking Old Testament out of context or adding to it, so that they could be more powerful and other people could be less powerful. And then secondly, he spoke into mistreatment of people. And we see that most clearly in Luke chapter 5. It says, later as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi, who we now call Matthew, got up, left everything and followed him. Later, Levi had a, held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's followers, or his tax collectors, fellow tax collectors, and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to the disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Jesus overheard that. And he looked him in the eye and he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know that they're sinners and need to repent. See, Jesus was willing to respond in a way that honored truth and defended people. And we should follow that model ourselves. And the key word in that, in that point is carefully. And a general rule of thumb, when your emotions are high, your wisdom is probably low. Does that make sense? When your emotions are high, when you just freshly receive criticism, that probably is not the time to, to defend yourself. Let your emotions calm down. Let a little time pass before you respond. Maybe you write the email, but you wait a day to press send. Maybe you start to reply to the text, but you wait to re you, you wait to, to hit the send button. And a beautiful thing takes place there. They will see those three bubbles on their phone and, you know, they'll wonder what you're up to for quite a while. That's probably not a good idea. Don't do it that way because the next thing that we read is from Ephesians chapter 4. It says, instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. You know, I could give you lots of examples of where I've messed up with that word carefully, but that's not very fun. <laughs> and so I want to give you one example of when I got this right, and uh, it's by God's grace. Uh, when I was working for our campus ministry uh, as the director, and I would get letters from time to time, uh, usually like really positive things, but I got a letter once from a man who I had watched my whole life. Like he was one of my spiritual heroes. He was one of our founding board members, and uh, his letter was highly critical. And he had received some, uh, some misinformation, I would say, from someone. And the letter said, I'm no longer going to be able to support 
the ministry because of the theology that you're teaching to college students. And he got a little bit specific with that, and it crushed me. Uh, a man who was a hero, a man who I'd watched my whole life, who I went to for his advice, was now being highly critical of me. And I had a wife who said, wait. Like, put that on the back burner and wait a week. And I called him a week later and asked if I could just come visit with him. And he said yes, and so I drove the five hours to go sit in his living room with his wife and him. We prayed together, and I explained my side of that. I explained how I really believed that he was believing some things that weren't true. And he was able to ask me some questions that really honed into what our ministry was all about. We wrapped up that two hours together, praying together, asking God to restore our relationship, and he did. Because I didn't respond hastily, and because I just said, can I come talk with you? And God used that to restore a relationship that was really, really important to our ministry. The writer of Proverbs said it really well when he said, if you listen to construct, I got, I got off there, I'm going to go back. Um, Romans 12, I'm sorry, says, if it's possible as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. The third thing is that sometimes we need to listen and make a change. And maybe now is when you get the pencil out and you start jotting some things down or you type some notes to yourself because sometimes your critics are right. See, if all your coworkers are telling you that you have a problem, maybe you do. And if all of your friends are saying, I think the substance, I think the alcohol, I think the gambling, I think this, whatever it is, is controlling you, maybe they're right. If your spouse says, I think you're yelling at the kids too much, you should listen. And if someone says, I'm pretty sure you're dating the devil, and all of your friends are saying that, it might be time to move on from that relationship. It's really important that all of us have a list of people who have full right to speak into our lives. I have wonderful wife. I have some really good best friends, and I have several people that lead here at the church and who work here at the church, and they know that they can say, Dan, I see this, and that's not consistent with who I think you are, and they know that I'll listen, and, they and, and I know that they'll listen to me. And so who's on your list? Maybe you work on that this afternoon. You write down and let those people know. Would you please speak into my life if you see something that isn't consistent? I told you a few weeks ago that I'm going through this year of leadership training, and, and uh, one of the things that we did in that was a 360 review where they basically uh, asked the 12 people who work closest with you, like, what's terrible about you? Um, they ask all these questions, and and then you get together with your coach, and they lay it all out on the table and tell you about your leadership failures. Um, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, the day was coming for me to sit down with Mike, my coach, and, and listen to the feedback. And, 
And uh, I was making a list of things that I thought sounded more fun, like a dental appointment, um, an IRS audit, uh, a prostate exam, like all this stuff. I thought maybe if I schedule that, I won't have to go. But I showed up. And for three hours, my coach laid it all out. And almost all of it was super positive, encouraging stuff. But there was this one common thread that I had to make a choice. I'm going to listen to that, and I'm going to change how I am going forward. And it was centered around this idea that I really value being available to people. And so I had become so available that I really wasn't available at all. I could be walking towards a meeting, and someone, said, someone would say, hey, Dan, do you have two minutes? And I'd be like, yep. And the truth is, I did not have two minutes. And so I would be sitting there, and they're telling me this stuff, and I'm like, you're telling me too many details, I got to go. But I told them that I had two minutes. Or I would be sitting and talking with them in the hallway, and, and people are walking by, and like, those are squirrels in my brain. You know, I see it out of my peripheral, and, and I'm excited about all the other things, because if a person is great, more people is better, right? And so I had to make a decision that I wasn't going to be like that. And so I started doing two things. The first is I started saying no, which was amazing. You know, to be able to tell someone, I do not have two minutes right now, but I do at two o'clock today. And then I would try to dial, I'm, I'm trying to dial in to that time with them. And the second thing that I'm doing is I'm pulling those conversations into side rooms. I'm pulling them out of a hallway where the squirrels are running around, and I pull them into my office or into a meeting room so I can fully focus on what they're saying because I, I want to be available in the best ways. And so sometimes we have to listen to the criticism and make a change. Proverbs 15 says, if you listen to constructive criticism, you will be at home among the wise. If you reject discipline, you only harm yourself. Is there an area in your life where it would make sense for you to listen to people around you and make a change? Sometimes you respond or you don't respond. Sometimes you respond carefully. And sometimes you listen so you can make a change. And then finally, we talk about this, how we resist criticism. And specifically, how we resist the tendency to fall into what I would call critical creep. Critical creep is what happens when I don't guard my own heart from critical spirits around me. And I receive some criticism, and it just turns me into a critic about that person or about other things that they talk about. And I notice how easily it is to like pull me into that trap. And so I want you to hear this. The person who needs to hear today's talk more than any other person is this guy. It's me. I, I, need, to, I need to be aware that I fall into that critical creep and it can be really easy for me sometimes. And then after me, the most important people to hear this message today are you right? It's all of us, and we start with us because I want to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. I want to be part of the solution and not part of the problem, because if you and I don't resist critical creep, we just mess it up. We make it worse. Here's what Romans 10 says. So where does that leave you when you criticize a brother or when you condescend to a sister? I'd say it leaves you looking pretty silly or worse. 
Eventually, we're all going to end up kneeling side by side in the place of judgment facing God in your critical and condescending ways. They're not going to help you at all. They're not going to elevate your position one bit. And understand, Third City, this is being written by a man named Paul, who just a couple years earlier, I'm just telling you, he was a 10 out of 10 on the critical scale. He was the one who stood by and held coats and participated in the beatings and the arrest and the death of people who were following Jesus because of a critical spirit in his own world. And a few years later, he met Jesus. He's walking down this road and Jesus appears to him and he says this, he says, why are you persecuting me? And one translation says, why are you so out to get me? And Paul had to come face to face with the fact that he was leading from a critical spirit. And it was something he had to deal with for the rest of his life. He had to guard himself from falling back into that tendency. And the good news this morning is that if God can change the heart of Paul, he can change the heart of Dan. And he can change your hearts when it comes to this area. If critical creep has gotten a hold of you, he can change your heart. He just wants to meet you where you are. Jesus knows everything about us, every flaw, and he loves us anyway. So he wants to meet you where you are, whether it's to help you handle the criticism that comes your way in a manner that honors God and honors people, or whether it's in a way more like he met Paul to overcome a critical spirit that had crept into his heart and creeps into ours. And he wants to meet you there. Will you let him do that this morning? It's a huge part of why we take communion together every week. Uh, we take communion as a way to, to meet with God and to let him take a look inside of our hearts and for us to take a deeper look at his heart because he wants to change us to look more and more like him. To be reminded of his grace, his sacrifice, and his victory. And so together we take a piece of bread. If you want to get that ready, we take a piece of bread to be reminded of who he is and what he's done, and that we get to share in his victory as a church together. So we take a piece of bread to be reminded of his body. Now, I, lo I love the way the writer of Hebrews said this. We fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God where he intercedes for us. And together, the fruit of the vine, we celebrate victory. God, thank you. You know everything about us, and you love us anyway. And you call us to do the same thing with the people around us. 
Thank you for the cross. And thank God for an empty tomb. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's the deal. It doesn't take very long to scroll through social media and just see that our world is so full of criticism. Turn on the news and you turn it off 30 seconds later because you just feel that welling up inside of you. Uh, I, love, I love how Jesus led in that story with Levi, the tax collector. He, he doesn't lead out with, here's all your faults. He stands for truth and he has a conversation down the road about the things that he was doing in his life, but Jesus leads with love. And can we be that kind of a church? The church that is less about boycotts and canceling and all of that stuff will stand for truth. We will always be a church that stands for truth. But we're going to lead with love. And I think if we do that, what it looks like, it looks like love unlimited. It looks like a whole bunch of people that go into their workplaces, their neighborhoods, and their homes. And they make a godly difference. And they invite people into the process that God is doing in all of our lives. And we lead with love. We leave cynicism and criticism to the side. And we lead with love unlimited. Let's be that. Thanks for listening to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. Please join us for one of our worship services at 9, 10, 15, or 11.30 a.m. in Grand Island and at 10, 15 a.m. in Broken Bow on Facebook Live and at thirdcityc.online.church each Sunday. For more information about Third City Christian Church, send email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Call us at 308-384-5038 or visit us online at thirdcityc.org.